in the world of freedom. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ich bin ein Berliner. This is Radio Goethe Magazine with Arndt Peltner. News and information from the heart of Europe. Hello and welcome to Radio Goethe Magazine. I'm Arndt Peltner. In today's program I have an interview with the Afghanistan correspondent Christoph Reuter for you, so stay tuned. But first, the news. Radio Goethe Magazine. The news with Nina Paula. Berlin. The German government has given green light for swine flu vaccination program. In a couple of months, Germany could begin immunizing people against the virus. The decision of the government paves the way for Germany's biggest mass vaccination in post-war history. The country has already ordered 50 million doses of vaccine, which is still undergoing clinical tests. It would immunize up to a third of the population against the virus, which is more commonly known as swine flu. The first to be vaccinated will be people with chronic illnesses or immune disorders, pregnant women, healthcare workers and emergency services personnel. The program will cost the government and private insurers between 600 million euros and 1 billion euros. Berlin. German schools face a severe shortage of tens of thousands of math and science teachers. A German foundation is now offering a special training for non-EU teachers to help fill the gaps. The organization recently estimated the shortage will reach 40,000 nationwide during this school year and the situation will worsen. In order to prepare non-EU teachers for a proper teaching job in Germany, the foundation finances a 12-month training course for 20 foreign teachers, most of whom come from former Soviet bloc states. The students have already worked as teachers in their countries of origin, giving classes in the subjects that urgently need to be filled in Germany, such as math, physics, computer science and engineering. Berlin. Germany plans to put 1 million electric cars on the road by 2020. The government finalized the plan, which calls for financial incentives, starting in 2012 to support the sale of 100,000 electric cars by 2020. At present, around 500 million euros have been earmarked for research and development. Progress would determine whether more funding would be made available. Specifics on the finances are to be discussed by the German cabinet in the next legislature period in fall. Berlin. The last border controls between Germany and Poland disappeared in 2007, but Germans and Poles still don't know much about each other. Now a nomadic film project wants to change that and looks to open up the cultural border. With a big old bus, the film crew is traveling along the German-Polish border region in order to screen short films on both sides from both countries. The program consists of seven German and Polish short films that focus on cliches and stereotypes, but they also show a new, refreshing perspective on Polish-German relations. Christoph Reuter has been in Afghanistan on and off for the last seven years. He is a journalist working for the German magazine Stern. 
In the past, he has been to Iraq and other hotspots as well. Last year, Christoph moved to Kabul to work from there as the correspondent for Stern. He's the only German journalist based in Afghanistan and that gives him a big advantage in understanding the country, the people and the culture. I reached Christoph Reuter by phone in his apartment in Kabul to talk to him about the situation in this election week in Afghanistan. Christoph, what is going on in Kabul and the rest of the country in these days? Uh, well, it's one of the strangest election campaigns I have ever experienced, where the incumbent, who is also the, uh, the front runner to win these elections, seems to be afraid of his own people. Uh, we accompanied him on his campaign trips, which went to remote areas far away from the big cities, guarded by thousands of Afghan presidential protection team, uh, Afghan soldiers, Afghan policemen, and then he would speak for half an hour in front of a hand-picked crowd, while his main competitor at least does something like normal campaigning, um, but Karzai does not. He's too afraid of his own people. How can I imagine a campaign? Is it like in Germany with lots of billboards or more in the U.S. with televised debates? Well, it's... Um It's a strange mix of both. You have um, thousands of posters because at the same time you also have elections uh, for the provincial councils, which nobody cares about in the West, but they are extremely important for the local people because these provincial councils are the bottleneck uh, which decides about distribution of money, of projects, etc. So you have... Uh, 3,000 candidates for these provincial councils. You have uh, still 37 presidential candidates. They have covered the whole country in posters. So this is rather similar to what we know from uh, the U.S. or from Germany. But then the interesting thing is you have no party structure here. So basically everybody who uh, is running for a post... Um, hopes for a kind of tribal or ethnic constituency. Um, so when you hear the speeches, except for one candidate, uh, the former finance minister, hardly anybody comes up with a real program, like I would uh, do uh, reform of the health program, I would build roads, I would uh, provide all Afghanistan with electricity. Uh, mainly they say, you can trust me, because I'm uh, Hazara slash Tajik slash Pashtun, uh, or I'm from the Popolzai tribe, from the Aragzai tribe. Um, so it's very, um, it seems to be rather static. It's not very much about ideologies. It's more about whom you can trust, uh, who is from your bloodline or from your ethnic group or from your belief. Um, and um, then you also... Um, have a status quo, a situation which is so extremely bad with half the country basically at warfare or in a drowning in civil war with the Taliban or with criminal groups uh, with a completely corrupt government where you have to pay for everything with the justice system which hardly exists uh, because you can bribe every judge to get innocent people into prison or criminals out of prison that basically you only have to promise, I will, I will do it differently. I will change, uh, and people are eager to listen to you. 
Um, and the strange thing is that uh, Karzai is uh, leading in the polls, although he is the very reason for this corrupt system, because he has brought people in place uh, who just loot this country but are not willing to build it up. Um, so, yeah, on the, on the surface, it looks a little bit like an uh, election campaign in the West, but when you dig deeper... Um, it's a completely different setting, um, as I uh, explained, which has a few parallels with um, the system. We know that you have programs, you have organized parties, you have candidates which are known to people. Here they, they had a problem, they had so many candidates, uh, which nobody knows, uh, and many people are illiterate that every candidate got a little logo. So on the posters, you have his picture, you have his name, um, maybe his tribal affiliation or so. But then you also have a logo, and uh, Kazai managed to get the uh, the measure of uh, justice. Uh, are you still there? I'm still here, yeah. Hello? Hello, I'm okay. still here. Uh, he got, yeah, now there was some uh, cracking in the phone line. So Kazai managed to get the, uh, the measure of uh, justice, but... Other candidates have buses, airplanes, uh, one has uh, an X, some others have chairs, trees, teapots. Uh, you have very surreal election posters sometimes where somebody has his name, his picture, and then there is a pen or a bicycle or two chicken, which are... Um, his logo that people who are illiterate can recognize this candidate. You mentioned already President Karzai. Who are the other main contenders? Well, first of all, it's Karzai um, as the president, as the one, and this is the main important thing, um, who has the apparatus of the government at his will, uh, which many levels have been used to rig these elections, putting pressure on the election officials, exchanging police officers, exchanging district governors, making sure that um, this election will by no means be fair and that Karzai will be re-elected. That's the incumbent. Then the main contender is uh, Dr. Abdallah Abdallah, the uh, close uh, eight of Ahmed Shah Massoud, the great hero, the great Tajik hero from the Northern Alliance, who was killed by Al-Qaeda two days before 9-11. Uh, and he is the one who has really been campaigning. He tries to reach out to people. Uh, and he is seen by many, even by Pashtuns, as somebody who is deeply enough uh, integrated in the system of power alliances, of warlords, of tribes and ethnic groups, that he he's a real uh, contender, um, which is also the problem, because his allies from the uh, the old days are as corrupt as uh, Karzai's entourage. And people say, well, he says nice words now, but we don't know if we can really trust him to change the system. Um, and then you have two other main contenders. One is Ashraf Ghani, the former Minister of Finance, by far the brightest Western-educated candidate who 
would probably be a good president for this country, but he is lacking all this tribal background. He was never in militia commander. Uh, he doesn't have the money, uh, wherever it may come from, at the other candidate camps. So he he basically has no chance. All the intellectuals, many of the technocrats, um, the well-educated people want to vote for him, which uh, comes, which reaches maybe two, three percent of the vote. And then you have the strangest uh, main candidate in the last um, poll. He got like ten percent of the vote, and would come number three. This is uh, Ramadan Bashardos. Uh, he was minister for a short time, and his his main topic is, I am not corrupt. I don't take money. I'm poor. So while the others are traveling the country with planes, with helicopters, uh, with lots of security sometimes, um, he goes with a half-rotten Corolla from place to place. Uh, has no single security around him. Um, and he attracts crowds, large crowds. Although different than uh, other candidates, uh, nobody who comes to his uh, campaign speeches gets a free lunch. Other candidates distribute all kinds of goodies, free lunch for everybody, cookies, etc. And he simply stands there and speaks. And a lot of people like his approach. He by no means has a program or has... Uh, enough people around him who could form a government. But simply, people are so fed up with the corruption, with the greed of the ruling people, that this guy traveling the country in his uh, Corolla, or now he has a minibus, um, they like him. And these are the uh, four main contenders. All the other candidates are... Well, hardly any one of them is serious. Many will probably... Uh, leave the race in favor of one of the big candidates in hopes in exchange to get the governor post or money or whatsoever. But many candidates, nobody ever heard of them before. They are not really campaigning and they are irrelevant. Is it safe for all candidates and voters to participate in this election? Um, well, this is the most interesting phenomenon and we haven't completely figured out what is behind. Taliban have threatened again and again and again that uh, they would interrupt the elections and would kill people at polling stations, would blow up the polling stations, etc., etc. Um, but they haven't so far attacked any of the offices which did the voter registration since January. They haven't attacked a single office while they attacked everything else government institutions, police stations, ISAF troops, etc. Um, and we have heard from several districts where Taliban even encouraged people to get their registration cards. And even Karzai himself says we have made deals with the Taliban that on election day they will remain peaceful, uh, while at the same time the Taliban are still issuing these threats that uh, they will chop off fingers of voters, etc., etc., um, and from what we know from people who know about these deals between the Taliban and Karzai, uh, there seems to be a kind of evil scheme to exist. That Karzai bribes the Taliban. They get money to keep the remain peaceful on election day. 
Um, and at the same time, all these threats, the fear among the people, will cause a very low turnout in much of the south and the east of the country. There you will have no election observers. You will have a few people at the polling stations. So this is the perfect environment uh, for fraud. Because uh, if nobody comes to vote, you have all these empty ballot papers. You have no observers. It's only the police and the army, which are loyal to Karzai, and the Taliban, who control what happens with the ballot papers. So if we see no Taliban attacks at the elections, and a rather high turnout officially, uh, despite the fact that the few people who will go to observe didn't see many people at the polling stations, then you have a very clear indication that you have a very, very strange alliance between Karzai and the Taliban, that uh, they get money and they will make sure that with massive fraud, uh, Karzai will be re-elected, because also he is their candidate. He's Pashtun. And they don't want Abdullah, who's half Tajik, half Pashtun, and was fighting against the Taliban for a long time. Um, they appreciate Abdullah. Uh, they appreciate Karzai to be president. Plus, they will uh, earn probably a fortune of money, mainly from Karzai's drug business, um, to do what uh, he wants from them. Because there is no other logical explanation uh, why the Taliban keeps threatening everybody, don't go voting, don't go voting, don't go voting, while at the same time they are making all these deals with uh, Karzai's government, plus the fact that so far they had a million chances to attack uh, election offices, etc., etc., and they haven't done What role do the international forces play in this election? The international forces, they are the so-called third ring, Uh, they will not guard any, or maybe in Helmand in the south uh, they will do, but in most of the country they are not there to guard any uh, polling station, but they are there to uh, uh, to install kind of overall security, that the main roads are free, that uh, Taliban movements are observed and blocked. They are out, but Uh, they are basically securing uh, the, the city centers, the main roads, etc. Um, but they are not located at the different polling stations because then you would have like five ISIS soldiers at the polling center, uh, which might then at the end of the day be five dead soldiers because they have to move in groups. You talked already about the increased violence in recent months. Do you think this will cease after the election? No, of course not. It will increase. No, because uh, if this government remains in place, uh, also the corruption remains in place, nothing of the problems here will be solved. Uh, the main reasons why people turn to the Taliban is because they are so fed up of this government, which doesn't do anything for the people. Um, so now the, uh, the violence will uh, increase, and it's already on a very high level, like 10 minutes ago, we heard, uh, 50, 20 minutes ago, we heard some heavy explosions uh, downtown Kabul. Uh, there was the big attack against the NATO ISAF headquarters. Uh, there were some missile attacks like 10 days ago. And this in Kabul, which was uh, extremely calm since February, 
um, there is already a very high level of uh, violence, and the Taliban strike at will. It's not so easy to get a car loaded with explosives in front of the ISIS main gate. Um, and uh, for them, it's a long, long struggle back to power. Uh, and ISAF has increased the troop number, but this is like you you go into Helmand, for example. This is like you try to squeeze water, uh, and if you squeeze water, it might move to into another direction. And this is what we see now. There are Taliban all over the west and the north now, which haven't been there before. Kunduz, the city where the Germans are based, is basically a city under siege. All the main roads, east, north, south, west, uh, basically controlled by Taliban, so there is no way to win. In Kunduz, in the north, where the German army is stationed, more and more attacks happened in recent months. The situation is totally unstable up there. What led to this? Well, two main reasons. The one is that the Americans uh, announced the surge in the south, and uh, if 4,000 Marines enter an area, They basically kill everybody who stands up with a gun. Um, so Taliban thought for the time being, it doesn't make sense to fight the Marines uh, in southern Helmand. So thousands of Taliban left the area and spread all over the rest of the country. Uh, the next reason is that the new main supply road for ISAF goes from Tajikistan to, through northern Afghanistan. Uh, and the Taliban uh, want to show that they can block this supply route as well, after they have rather successfully blocked the supply route from Pakistan. Uh, and the third reason is that uh, many of the ISAF forces uh, had the main priority to avoid any casualty. Um, so they would never attack Taliban as long as they were not attacked by Taliban. Um, which had the advantage that the area remained quite peaceful. But the disadvantage is that uh, seven kilometers southwest of the German military camp, you have a Taliban safe haven, where no government official would ever dare to go in. And you have hundreds of Taliban uh, gathering there. Even Taliban from Uzbekistan and other countries go there because they, what they said told us, it's much safer here. How is the situation for you? Can you still move freely around the country, or did things change for you as a journalist as well? Oh, well, it's, I mean, we have contacts to everybody. So uh, we are moving um, rather freely, sometimes in a more Afghan dress with shallow chameez, contact lenses, and a longer beard, sometimes not. Um, it is risky to move, indeed. Not particularly for us, but uh, you have lots of explosions, IEDs on the road. Um, so it was a bit strange. We were on uh, like 15 campaign trips with different candidates all over the country, flying to Kandahar, driving to Paktia, flying in half rotten helicopters to here, to there. Uh, so it feels like this is the country of constant movement. Um, But normally, uh, we are more careful where to go, uh, how to go, with whom to go, uh, and check for the road if it's possible. Like, for example, the road to Kunduz was completely peaceful until a month ago. And now, uh, it's extremely dangerous to take the road to Kunduz. So you 
have to be careful with your moves, and uh, we are. During this campaign time, it was slightly different because uh, normally most of the big candidates have uh, plenty of security with them. Christoph, what do you like about Afghanistan and your job that you still stay in Kabul, although this is very, very dangerous for you and might cost you your life? Well, I'm the only based German correspondent in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, it's the... Well, first of all, it's the last uh, country... Uh, well, there were only two, but it's uh, the remaining country where you have armies from more than 30 countries trying to fight an enemy which obviously gets grows stronger and stronger the more soldiers you send in so it's a very um very weird uh, peculiar situation and then afghanistan is although it's difficult to live here but it's so interesting in terms of of stories People in the villages live like uh, people in Europe or other parts of the world lived 500, 600 years ago. Um, you discuss with them tribal issues and why the neighbors they are in feud with since generations. Uh, and at the same time, they have a mobile phone, a Kalashnikov, and a motorbike. Um, and you have such a, a clash of cultures and civilizations in here. Um, that in terms of writing, of research, of uh, experiencing, uh, it's, it's a great place. It sometimes feels like uh, I'm moving in the 17th century, meeting people who ride on donkeys uh, and uh, live in pristine valleys where nothing has changed for ages, um, have wonderful stories, Sometimes very sad stories from all the wars. Um, so it's a it's a unique place in the world, and for some time it's extremely interesting to be here. Plus, I have been in Afghanistan on off since 2002, and uh, my experience is that you cannot understand what is really happening here if you come for three weeks, two weeks, hop in do a few interviews and leave. You need time. You need to spend hours, days with people, zipping tea, talking about this and that, and know all these weird games and negotiations which are going on all the time, like the one I explained with uh, the deals between Karzai and the Taliban. This is something we only know uh, because we know people very well in this country. Um, and for this, you need to stay. Uh, but probably uh, two years will be enough. I talked to Christoph Reuter, Afghanistan correspondent for the German magazine Stern. I reached him by phone in Kabul.
was today's Radio Goethe magazine. Thank you for listening and please find us online at radiogoethe.org where you also can subscribe to our free podcast. I'm Arndt Peltner. Come on.